You're listening to The Myth Pilgrim, and I am Brother Lawrence of the Missionaries of God's Love. At its heart, the spiritual journey is a delightful and perilous adventure, just like the myths and fairy tales we love. This podcast is also a journey, learning from both wizards and saints, enchanted princesses and inner demons. Together, we'll discover how the great symbols of myth and fairy tale can guide us on our journey to God. Gosh, if that doesn't give you a nostalgia hit, <laughs> I'm not sure what will. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of The Myth Pilgrim. I am particularly excited today to be sharing with you what probably would be, or at least in the top three of my favourite films of all time, um, The Sound of Music. And I know it's not just me that loves this film. I mean, 50, 60 years later, it's still so popular. It seems to have this timelessness this this kind of just floats above all the other academy award winning you know feature length films of the last you know 50 or 60 years um why why is it so popular what's its appeal why does it seem to transcend all categories of of culture and and time and kind of cultural trends we'll be exploring that and i look forward to doing this in a way that's a little bit different from other episodes um i'll be going more into a a testimonial sort of mode about sort of its experience, its effect on me, rather than going through sort of a more structured, um, kind of systematic <laughs> approach or analysis of its themes, which is a good approach. But for The Sound of Music, when I tried writing an episode, I'm like, mm, you know what, I'm just going to talk. <laughs> and, and hopefully, without talking too fast, which I tend to do when I'm excited about something, hopefully um, you can also be inspired to um, to explore some of why it's significant. And for us as, as growing up, especially in a Look, it's a very difficult time. I don't know when you'll be listening to this episode, dear listener, but um, I'm in lockdown. Um, There's lots of other people I know around the world who would be suffering the direct effects of COVID. There's a lot of despair, a lot of cynicism, and there's a lot going on around the world and the way the news works that makes life seem rather grey and kind of closed in. And I'm going to say right from the start that we need Maria's faith. We need her faith, her, her outlook that sort of carries us with wings to be fully alive again and to see the problems of our life in their proper light. I mean, the movie is just so filled with hope. Um, a sort of hope that doesn't belittle our problems, but helps us look at them with a fresh perspective, um, helping us notice again how good life actually is. I often equate watching The Sound of Music with looking at a big sunflower when you're feeling blue. You know, it just sort of... Um, stirs up and reminds you of the beauty and the charm and the innocence it's still in the world and and the God whose presence is really everywhere and how much there is to actually celebrate. Um, You just can't help watching this film without feeling uplifted um, by the end because it's very much a story that celebrates and elevates the human spirit. When I was, I had to be under five years old because I was still at my old address, like the old address before I, you know, the family moved to our new house where I grew up the rest of my childhood and my teenage years. At my old address, I had worked out how to rewind and play, rewind and play the VCR, you remember those things, <laughs> of the videotape of The Sound of Music. Um, the last scene, the very last scene, when the, the reprise of Climb Every Mountain is sung and we see the Von Trapp family um, kind of climbing the big Swiss Alps um, over into, over Austria to escape the Nazis and into into Switzerland, and there was something incredibly, even as a five-year-old, spiritual, uplifting, expansive even, um, about that moment where I just knew that there was something more, 
to life, to my soul, to me, to the, obviously as a five-year-old, four-year-old, my family and my bedroom was everything, right? That was my world. But um, yeah, there's something about the whole film and I think that it's sort of that last scene with the magnificent Swiss Alps kind of captures that it, that the story lifts us away from navel-gazing or, or being focused or drawn in by the bad spirit into our, um, our issues which are real and, and could be very painful but fix our eyes on to the wider horizon. And I think this is the reason, unconsciously or not, The Sound of Music will always have this um, a privileged place in people's hearts. I mean, this film, when it came out even in 1965, had already won, got nominated for like 10 <laughs> Academy Awards, um, won five of them. Within a year and a half of non-stop being in the cinemas, I've replaced Gone with the Wind as being the, you know, the most highest grossing film ever made. So it already spoke to people back then, but, but even today, like I speak to parents and, and um, our senior citizens in nursing homes, and they all love it. They, you know, it's still a favourite, and they can all sing along with... Doe, a deer, a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun. By the way, a big shout-out to um, my sister Dom and Joanne, a kind of a family friend we've known, well, I've known since I was born, literally, um, who have a particular affinity with this film. Um, we've sung songs to it at sleepovers, you know, we've reenacted scenes in our own... In our own um, Oh, a very creative way as, as uh, six, seven, eight-year-olds. This episode is a celebration of those memories, those warm times of our childhood as well. So, hey, if you're listening, big thumbs up. All right, let's, um, for the sake of those who may not have seen it in a while or haven't seen it at all, let's just really briefly summarise the story. And I'm going to do this from the top of my head. So The Sound of Music is set in the very picturesque um, Austria in the 1930s, in the sort of the golden era of Salzburg, of Austria, um, just prior to World War II, before well, we all know what that did to Europe. So the main character of the story is Maria, and she is a young, when the movie starts, she is a nun. Uh, she's a novice who's joined um, a Catholic convent, and she's training to be a nun, really, but she hasn't taken vows yet. Um, what we find out is that she doesn't really feel like she fits in um, to the religious life uh, of the convent. Um, the other sisters are a bit mean to her and call her a flippity-jippet, a will-o'-wisp and a clown. A flippity-jippet, a will-o'-the-wisp, a clown. What's a flippity-jippet anyway? I've always wanted to know. Um, anyway, so the mother abbess, in sort of a move of wisdom or compassion, decides to send Maria um, out of the convent to spend some time to be a governess um, to a family of children who have lost their mother um, as a way of sort of helping her find her place and to mature and, yeah, just to kind of see what the Lord does with her in that context. Um, so Maria is a bit hesitant at first, but, but then out of obedience to her superiors, she goes uh, to the Von Trapp house, or <laughs> it's more like a mansion, and she meets the seven children, um, aging between probably like five and 16? Well, we know Louise is 16 because she sings about it. Um, the children don't like her at all. They don't want a governess. They don't want another, you know, they've had other governesses that they've all frightened away. Um, no one can replace their mother ultimately. Uh, more importantly, Maria also meets uh, Georg von Trapp or Captain von Trapp, who is the children's father, who, man, this guy's <laughs> a bit of work. He's, a, he's kind of a ex-naval um, captain. So he in his grief, in his, uh, I guess, inability to cope with anything, he runs the household like a ship, like a Navy ship, and treats his, you know, whistles to his children to get their attention, to get them to be disciplined, all that kind of stuff. But the story really is how, the, how through Maria's um, beautiful um, charisma and patience and love and, and faith, 
and how the children warm up to her and how she gains their trust and vice versa. But also how Georg, the captain, in reaction to this delightful, innocent, uh, playful woman, softens to her and ends up falling in love with her and Maria, unbeknownly to herself, to him. Uh, this complicates things a little bit for Georg, though, because the captain was already at that time betrothed to the Baroness Schrader, who was actually more interested in his money and didn't really love him anyway. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Baroness <laughs> convinces Maria that she should run away, and Maria agrees, thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I still want to be a nun. Why am I falling in love with this man? And, you know, surely, surely God must want me to stay as a nun so I can serve him that way. And so she runs away back to the Abbey, where she isolates herself and feels as though, you know, she has to work through things in herself and doesn't talk to anyone, but... The mother superior, in her calm wisdom, um, with time, kind of talks to Maria about what's happening within her and ultimately, through a beautiful song, which we'll explore later, um, convinces Maria she has to go back and face the reality in front of her with this family and especially with her love for Captain um, Von Trapp. Ultimately, she says that the love between a man and a woman is just as holy as a life, a consecrated life, if that's what the Lord's calling you to. But yeah, so she turns back and as it turns out, you know, Captain Von Trapp had done some soul-searching and realised he doesn't really love Baroness Schrader and, you know, confesses his love in a beautiful pagoda to Maria and they they get married, um, which is beautiful, you know, climatic sort of scene. So the last part of the film then is about how the family um, are forced um, quite painfully to um, flee from their home, their house, even though they've just been married and everything, to flee from Austria into Switzerland um, because Captain Von Trapp um, morally doesn't want to compromise uh, with the Nazis, and because he's sort of been forced to um, cooperate with them in their in their military endeavors, and he says no. So yeah, and so the last part of the film is the family through some drama ends up fleeing um, and climbing over the mountain, the, the Swiss Alps, literally climbing every mountain into their new life, into a new beginning. Okay, so that's the story in summary. As mentioned earlier, the genius of the sound of music is its triumph and celebration of the human spirit. And in many ways, it's embodied um, most profoundly and coloured by the, the person, the, the personality, the charisma of Maria, who carries suffering and uncertainty and darkness very lightly uh, in a way that's very inspiring for us all. I mean, just consider, just looking at the storyline, these are the things Marie had to work through. First of all, she was pretty much bullied by the nuns she lived with who socially excluded her and kind of really didn't want her to be part of their order. And that's... And it's not nice to live in a community where no one wants you there. Um, she then has to contend with a very broken family uh, who, with a very pathological father who is obviously going through his process of grieving and, and the kid's in a you know, kind of rebellious state. Um, so that's not easy as well. We all know how difficult it is to live in such a broken family circumstance. Uh, the rejection by the kids I've mentioned. Later on down the movie, she has to contend with a very jealous and spiteful um, Baroness Schrader, who, if this was any other Hollywood movie, would probably uh, end in a cat fight, you know, as they fight for the affections of Captain Von Trapp. But Maria carries that love, that friendship uh, with Captain the Captain very lightly and respectfully until she realises that, you know, he's actually for her and all that. Then, of course, is the actual undercurrent of her vocational crisis in the fact that she doesn't really know where the Lord's calling her and she wants to be in A, but the Lord seems to be calling her in B and, and hence that beautiful quote, you know, that pretty much epitomizes the spirit of the movie where Maria says, where the Lord closes a door, he always opens a window. And we'll come back to that. But then just coming back to the, the way this um, film and Maria carries um, difficult times with much lightness is to escape from the Nazis, who we all know who they are and what they represent um, and how they go about that. And of course, finally, fleeing as refugees from the home they had just settled, this family they had just rekindled through this beautiful marriage, the high point of the movie, straight away, 
they kind of um, invited, well, you know, they have, to, they have to flee as refugees and that's obviously tough as well. So yeah, you can, you can see, but despite all of these, um, this heaviness, I'm always amazed when I think that one of the most beloved films in cinema history, one of the most celebrated, treasured films in history, in the end is only really about the simple love of a family. Um, the love between a brother and sister, husband and wife, um, mother and father, and, and of course the love of God and how that ties it all together. The Sound of Music isn't ideological or political or clever or about big global issues. Rather, its drama and its resolution pivots around just one family. And yet by the end of the film, the story still feels so complete and satisfying as if everything in the world is going to be okay or is okay. And this probably goes to show what's actually important for us as humans. You know, what we're actually yearning for, what satisfies the soul most. And also it shows how love and family is really worth fighting for, um, as Maria did. And it's not that her idealism about all this didn't meet resistance either, especially when she challenges the captain time and time again about his sort of uh, rigid, cold-shoulderedness towards his kids uh, after their mum's passing. Uh, So here's a scene where Captain Von Trapp first discovers that his kids have been playing in the streets of Salzburg with Maria um, in these play clothes that uh, Maria had made um, out of her own initiative from some old, old curtains. Do you mean to tell me that my children have been roaming about Salzburg dressed up in nothing but some old drapes? Mm-hmm. And having a marvellous time. They have uniforms. Oh, straight jackets, if you'll forgive me. I will not forgive you for that. Children cannot do all the things they're supposed to do if they have to worry about spoiling their precious clothes. The... Well, they wouldn't dare. They love you too much. They fear you too much. I don't much. wish you to discuss my children in this manner. Well, you've got to hear from someone. You're never home long enough I to said know I said I don't want to hear any more from you about I my children. I know you don't, but you've got to. Now, take Liesel. You'll not say she's one not word a child about anymore. One of these Fräulein. days you're going to wake up and find she's a woman. You won't even know her. And Friedrich, he's a boy, but he wants to be a man like you, and there's no one to show him Don't how. Don't you dare tell me about my son. Brigitte could tell you about him if you'd let her get close to you. She notices everything. And Kurt pretends Fräulein. he's tough not to show how hurt he is when you brush him aside. That'll do. The way you do all of them. Louisa, I don't know about yet, but someone has to find out about her, and the little ones just want to be loved. Oh, please, Captain, love them, love them all. I don't care to hear anything further from you about my children. I am not finished yet, Captain. Oh, yes, you are, Captain. Fräulein, now you will pack your things this minute and return to the Abbey. Gosh, they don't write scripts like that anymore. Anyway, as we know, Maria's passion for life and love and her incredible patience wins out and slowly the entire household uh, is redeemed and the fog of despair is slowly lifted from just about everyone in the movie. But at this point, I want to propose a question. Is the sound of music realistic or is it unrealistic? I know probably most listeners (laughs) um, and even the film critics of today would say it's, 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 you know, the film's fun, it's, it's a nice escape, it's whimsical, you know, it's kind of candy floss and unicorns, but it's not really realistic to day-to-day struggle of people. I'm going to challenge that, and I'm going to challenge myself by actually proposing that Maria's worldview and the way she handles life is realistic in the truest and deepest sense of the word. Because how she navigates the difficulties of life is actually more akin to how, like, the saints would handle the difficulties of life with lightness, with a sort of delicacy, with a detachment, and the sense that compared to the ginormous love and providence of God, even the greatest crises of our life are but a grain of sand. Hmm. 
And I think it's also important that Maria has a real sense of humour, even when she's arguing with, you know, Captain Von Trapp. And I think there's something really important about that because, as we know from their biographies, saints also had a sense of humour. They carried everything with a sense of lightness about them. You know, think of John the Twenty-Third, you know, the roly-poly <laughs> kind of overweight Pope who once, you know, when, some, when he overheard someone say, oh, my gosh, he's so fat. You know, I didn't realise he was so big. He actually said... Madam, entering the Vatican conclave is not a beauty contest, <laughs> right? The guy said that. You know, think of um, Teresa of Avila kind of laughing at her own rambles and, and St. Philip Neri and all these guys. You know, the saints' humour, origin of words, humour comes from the same word that means um, earth or of the earth. So humour actually humbles us um, to be grounded, to not take ourselves too seriously and lest we be elated by pride. So in this case, even though the film may not be historically or factually realistic, you know, we don't run around, we don't go around on bicycles singing songs, you know, into the streets. In spirit, the sound of music reflects more truth about how the human spirit is made and what it's made for than what we normally call reality. For real reality is to live and see the world like a saint, with freedom, with hope. What we normally think is reality, you know, a world that's tainted by despair and pessimism and confusion, that's merely what C.S. Lewis calls the shadow lands, lands yearning for the kingdom of God to break in. And for such times, films like The Sound of Music are able to, in their own charming way, puncture that shadow lands worldview a little and, and let in some fresh light and expand the horizons once again. If you're enjoying this episode of The Myth Pilgrim, please subscribe to it so you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. If you'd like to be notified by email every time a new episode is released, hop onto the website at themythpilgrim.com to register. Okay, so for the rest of the episode, I want to just share two of my favourite scenes from The Sound of Music, and I'll probably end up doing another episode where I can talk about more scenes. Um, but I want to choose two that really embody that where the Lord closes a door, he always opens a window, which is very profound. The first scene happens after the kids and Maria sing that, you know. Um, I simply remember my favourite things, and then I don't feel so bad. Um, and Maria's uh, kind of musters up the courage to, even though she's terrified and she's new to the captain at that time, she musters up the courage to ask Captain Von Trapp for fabric so that she can, using her own initiative, um, make play clothes for the children so they don't, they don't have to worry about upsetting their, their you know, well-ironed uniform when kids just want to play and roll around and climb trees and you know, ride bikes and stuff. And the captain says, no, you know, <laughs> I'm their father, you know, and discipline and order is the only way I'm going to run this household. And then he closes the door on her face. There's the door closing. And at that moment, and literally talking about doors closing and windows opening, and Maria is frustrated at that point. She's like, oh, really? You know, and she sits down on a chair next to a window, kind of wondering, you know, how, you know, how can this be? You know, why would the Lord invite me here? I'm not allowed to give some joy and restore the childhood of these kids. Then she sees the curtain drapes, um, these old curtain drapes, which are pretty ugly, that are going to be thrown out, um, she was told, by another housekeeper. And she's like, <gasps> suddenly she's inspired. And the Lord's providing an opportunity to use these old curtain drapes and turn them into the play clothes she needs. So she doesn't need fabric bought by the captain. She can actually just use these curtain drapes. And she does. She makes them into play clothes. And the next day, the kids romp around Salzburg in these, <laughs> these uh, curtain-made um, play clothes. 
Um, but there's just a, a, it's a small, but it's a very profound illustration of how um, the Lord never just closes doors. There are never dead ends. If the Lord inspires us with a desire, um, with a vocation, um, He will always provide where it looks like a closed door or a closed opportunity, another way out, another way forward, which will be bigger, more beautiful, um, creative than any solution we can come up with on our own path. So there's just one scene I love. Um, And another closed door, open window scene I'll explore is the whole where the Mother Superior sings, Climb Every Mountain. So this is when Maria has run away, um, you know, from the mansion, you know, thinking that, oh, this love between her and Captain Von Trapp is illicit. (laughs) And ultimately, this is where that song, Climb Every Mountain, is not, unlike popular belief, it's not about reaching your goals and searching for your dreams. It's about discernment. (laughs) Listening, the mountains are inside. It's to climb over. It's to search. It's to sift through all that is not of God to listen to and obey and follow the path that God has for us. And after this song and Maria realizing, the door of the convent of religious life, of consecrated life, closes for her, which for many people would be like, oh, that's terrible. That's the end of her dream. No, no. But the window opens. And what's the window? Her marriage to Captain Von Trapp, her being the mother of the seven children who she loves dearly and, and they her. You know, so again, the window that opened up almost seems like, well, that's just not a byproduct or kind of like, oh, the Lord will give you a... kind of a consolation prize for those who didn't come first. No, no. The the window that the Lord opens when the door closes is always brighter and more fulfilling and more conducive to our flourishing as human beings, as saints, than the door that is closed. And this is the genius and this is the profundity of our faith and why the sound of music stirs this up within us. You know, those who have lost faith, those who have lost hope in a God who cares and who has a plan for us, who who, despite all the mountains in our life, you know, allows us to transcend them and to climb over them with His Spirit. Um, this is where the film really hits home. Um, so I'm drastically running out of time, and I've realised I've gone over already. <laughs> I might have to do another episode, really, because like, there's just so much with Sound of Music. But I will leave, as a sort of a practical pilgrim reflection, an invitation for you to do something delightful. Do something you always used to love to do or sing or eat or read or play with um, maybe as a, as a child. You know, do something purely for its own sake, um, despite the fact that circumstances may be hard and life may be getting you down. But I think it's, it is important for us to be in touch with this Maria sort of spirit that is actually lying dormant within us because oftentimes, and I've certainly found this in my own experience, when we're in touch with that space, when we feel that freedom of knowing that God is God and we are not, we will have the correct lens, the correct, um, I guess, the correct ability to see our difficult circumstances in the right way. And that's often the way the Lord will find a, a window for us to, to move forward and to, and to live a life that has truly um, been set free. Okay, guys, thanks for, thanks for journeying with me um, through one of my favorite films. Um, until next time, <laughs> journey forth, take care, and God bless.